Hey, welcome to the Afikra podcast. Today's episode features a conversation with artist Yazan Halwani. Um, this episode is going to be moderated by me, Mikey Mhenna. We recorded on Zoom on June 4th, 2020. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining for this uh, special Africa Conversations. My name is Mikey Mhenna. I'm going to be moderating today's conversation. Um, and I'm very uh, lucky to be joined by Yazan Halwani, all the way from Boston. Thanks for having um, me. Please allow me to welcome Yezen to speak. Um, for those of you who don't know, Yezen is an artist um, originally from Beirut, uh, currently living in uh, Boston, who has become famous for painting murals through a combination of renewed Arabic calligraphy and portraits. He's done much more as well. At times, he's been dubbed Beirut's Banksy by Arab and na- international media. Yezen's painted um, and created artworks in a number of countries, including France, Singapore, Germany, Beirut, Tunisia, and uh, the UAE. He's known uh, most for his reuse of Arab calligraphy to create figurative elements in an attempt to give new dimension to Arabic calligraphy, calligraphy which has focused traditionally on abstraction rather than uh, figuration. Yezen, welcome to Africa Conversations. Thanks so much for, ha- uh, for joining Thanks a lot for having me, Mikey, and thanks uh, a lot for everyone that attended. Uh, excited for this uh, discussion. Yes, and we were talking briefly off the call, um, and when I think of public, when I think of sort of, I'll say this in the most layman's terms way possible, when I think of art on walls when I walk on the street, I immediately call it street art, right? Mm-hmm. Graffiti, street art, but those terms might be narrow, and you and I were talking about using the term public art versus street art and how you prefer public art. I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about that, why that term makes the most sense for you. Yeah, I, I think street art is... So the reason uh, these days I, I like to use the term uh, public art rather than street art, I think it uh, it has a different attitude uh, and meaning to me, I think more generally uh, to people in art. I think street art, if you want, is a subcategory within public art specifically, because at the end of the day, we live in a... uh, I think street art is very tied to what I used to do in the early days, which is kind of the graffiti, the murals, painting on the walls, whereas uh, public art can take a multitude of form. One of them is like, recently I've been doing uh, a bunch of sculpture work. Uh, Also, the public space can be many different things, right? If you just, uh, given that a lot of, some some of my even canvases today rely on research that happens from publicly available information, a bunch of it happens even, a lot of times even when uh, people don't see an artwork in real life, they see it online, which is also a new form of public space. I think that the term street art kind of uh, does not really define well uh, our interaction with the type of artwork that I do and that a lot of people do, uh, given that the way you interact with it is just so much more than the street specifically. And this is kind of the the, the first element for why I prefer public art. The second is a change in attitude. I think the graffiti culture and the street art culture is heavily uh, based on aesthetics, on style, and it has a lot of, uh, a, a big portion, and there's a kind of deep culture within uh, graffiti and street art, and where basically the artist has a sketch in mind, finds a public, like a, a wall that's blank, and just paints on it. Whereas public art involves 
I think a different attitude, which is you try to understand the different layers of where you're doing your artwork, whether it be the social layer, the historic layer, where you're doing, basically how will the, the artwork interact with the, with the passerbys. And all these yeah. dimensions are uh, not, not traditionally thought of in street art. And this is why public art is, is a term I prefer more. When you say interact, do you mean like literally, like when you see somebody paint over one of your murals, um, is that mission accomplished? Like when you, are you expecting people to actually do version 2.0? Are you hoping people engage with it artistically and like paint over it and do stuff like that? Or are you, you want them to exist and be preserved? Honestly, I, I don't like it when people actually paint over a mural, especially if, uh, like it happened a few times where my, actually the faces, the portraits were getting the face. They were just, the, the faces were getting like erased. Yeah. Uh, and th- there were some religious uh, uh, sentences being uh, written over the faces. I, I don't enjoy it necessarily. Like I, the first time I see it, I always get pissed, right? But at the same time, <laughs> at the same time, I do acknowledge that it's way better than being ignored completely. I think yeah. uh, the fact that it does create a, a, a reaction it someone actually it provokes them so that they actually try to do something to counter it is something kind of exciting because it gets me thinking and uh, specifically sometimes it's very inspiring because so when when these murals were getting defaced uh, one explanation for it is uh, basically there are a lot of people that there are s- some religions and the religious rules especially within Islam which a bad figuration and especially faces. And this is why some people, especially in some geographic areas, have specific sensitivities towards this. And when I saw that these uh, portraits were getting defaced, it actually made me refine some of my portraiture itself to actually tackle that issue. And this is this is what inspired these canvases where instead of painting a portrait with paint, I painted with calligraphy. So I actually tried to uh, explore this connection between abstraction, which is in Islam, and figuration which is really um everywhere and i i I can talk at length about this it's just like a very interesting uh thing when religion and culture uh, interact with our with contemporary arts if you can just sort of back up and tell us how did you first starting start (laughs) because some people may not know you 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 know you work in consulting you you currently graduated from uh your mba um so it's it's not like you've only been an artist your entire time. How did you start this journey? When did this first start? Sure. So I, I started, I was actually very, very young. Uh, I just thought that graffiti was cool. Like uh, I remember I was 14, 15. I just saw on the internet this thing called graffiti. I've heard about it in like some, some rap songs. And I was like, oh, you just buy spray cans and do it on the walls. And I thought I was kind of like a gangster in Beirut. So I took a few <laughs> spray cans for like 20 bucks and went in the street and, and basically uh, did really bad murals. I, I still have a, a file full of those really ugly murals. And I remember very interestingly is one of the first times I, in my mind, basically when the cops show up, you have to run. And basically I saw a police car behind me in, in Beirut. I was on a highway. And then basically the guy had his arm out of the window, he was looking at me a bit sideways and was just like staring. I just looked at him, we locked eyes and then he just passes by and it creates no reaction whatsoever. <laughs> he completely ignored what I, what I was doing. And this is where like, it made me think that 
when you're trying to adapt um, an art form or like you're inspired to start a certain artwork, you have to adapt it to the space because maybe in, in Europe and in the US, uh, graffiti, the way the culture that was created has this sort of like David versus Goliath dynamic where you have this street artist that's avoiding law enforcement and, and, and able to spread his art everywhere, his or her art. I think specifically in Beirut, like the city was already vandalized. So when the, the, the police officer sees someone painting, they're like, like okay, cool. Like, cool. I, I'm not sure this guy might be crazy doing it. So let, let me let them do it. And so I started developing a bit more. I, I went out of graffiti, uh, discovered Arabic calligraphy on the way, which I found. I was just attracted to the aesthetics of the letters. Then over time, when I used to get like ignored by uh, by a lot of people within the, where I, I used to uh, do my murals, this is where I understood that you have to go a bit deeper. When, whenever you yeah. do a mural in a public space, uh, this mural needs to resonate within the space it is in, especially if you're doing doing it in public. Maybe yeah, if you like, you do like to do sketching in a, in your studio on a canvas. No one needs to understand that that's completely fine. Whenever you, you're taking uh, a piece of public space, getting ignored is kind of like annoying. Uh, and this is where I started and uh, started like researching a bit more, developed my own calligraphic style uh, inspired by traditional uh, arts in the Middle East. Like uh, a lot of it you, has a lot of Islamic influence. Did you study under anyone or this is all self-taught? No, but I did not. I did not study under anyone. I met a lot of artists that kind of worked in front of me and I saw a bunch of techniques. Uh, that was yeah. very uh, inspiring. Um, but also there, there were a lot of books where you can actually just repeat the calligraphy. Um, and then I, I remember one day I was removing some photos of politicians in, in Beirut during, during 2013. And it was just so annoying. Before we need to start a mural, you need like three, four hours just to remove the photos of the politicians. And this made me kind of think a bit more about public space, how in Beirut it is dominated by pictures of politicians that just decide that they want to impose themselves. And they also use some of the same tools, like they use Arabic calligraphy for, for those banners that where they write their own quotes and uh, whatnot. And this is basically, this is political propaganda. And this is where I kind of noticed this disconnect. The people that live in the city their uh, culture or their, their identity is not expressed in the public space. It's what's expressed is the, what a powerful minority is doing. And this is where, instead of those faces, I wanted to replace them with cultural figures. Fayrouz, uh, Mahmoud Darwish, uh, Sabah, uh, also some figures that are not necessarily known, like Ali Abdul, who was a homeless person that used to live in front of AUB, but who was really part of the cultural fabric of the city. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, I, I expanded there a bit more. And then more recently, I've done a, uh, a bit more. I've ex stopped the portraits. I am working a lot on sculptures as well as a new series, which tries to explore kind of modern identity for for Lebanese or someone that's come coming from an emerging market like ours or a developing country where we, we migration has become just so much such a big part of our. Uh, identity, and this is what I'm exploring uh, right now in my newest series of canvases. If you can speak, imagine you're speaking to sort of an 18-year-old who doesn't know much about your work but is interested in it. Um, what are the technical difficulties, the technical challenges associated with doing a piece like this one in front of me, which is about you know eight feet high, versus doing one of these building tall, you know, three-story murals? So there are two sets of difficulties. The first one is um, 
So I think whenever you do something, the, the, the one, there is the first, which is basically permissions and like basically what the people around you think of it. And there is the next one, which is the execution, which you can get better at. The first one is you can get slightly better at, but it's all all about dealing with a lot of people. And some of them might have very different views from others. And in the first bucket, I put everything from like, so if you're doing on a, doing a mural on a building, you actually need to talk to the building owners. Yeah. Uh, sometimes in some cities, like for example, Beirut started doing this at some point, you have to actually supposedly take the permission of the governor of Beirut, uh, which some, and this can get very political. So for example, I remember uh, when I, uh, in some of the murals, for example, the Sabah one, they delayed my permit for seven, eight months. And this is where I uh, discovered that what I want to do is actually not apply for permits from the governor of Beirut. I just wanted to want to take the, the permission and get it sanctioned by the by the people around uh, around the building or people that are living with it. And this is mainly about communication. You go talk to the people. You try to understand the history. And this is sometimes this is where the inspiration comes from. So, for example, yeah. the mural you're seeing here, the in the middle, which is basically it's called. Uh, Immeuble Noire or Noire building is a portrait of two characters in a movie called West Beirut, which uh, happens during the Lebanese yeah. civil war, in which a Muslim boy from well, and the civil war was uh, a sectarian war between, to some degree, Muslim and Christians. Although it's it's, it's a bit more nuanced than that, uh, and you have like a kid that we used to live in West Beirut, Tara and May, who who's Christian who takes refuge in West Beirut, and. She wears a cross and everybody around her in West Beirut is like shocked that you have a Christian and it's very dangerous to be a Christian in West Beirut, but Tare is completely oblivious. What's interesting about this space is when I was talking to, and Tare, his family name in the movie, and he's a fictional character, is Tare Nwere. It's interesting is a lot of the people that live in this building are from the family Nwere. And so I discovered that the Nwere family built it. And this actually building is exactly on West Beirut uh, on the Green Line, which is basically the no man's land that used to, to split West and East Beirut, which had the war. And I found it fascinating that just by talking to them, I discovered a big Nwairi family that built this building. And to some degree, this could be the fictional building of, uh, of, uh, uh, of the Nwairi family. And I find, found this fascinating. But to actually get there, uh, you had to talk to different people, understand who owns the building. And this is just a lot of like, uh, it's just a mess. And, ah, for example, this mural was not approved by the governor of Beirut, yet I chose to do it anyway, just because I told myself, like, if they come to stop me, it will create kind of a story. They always try to avoid doing political stuff um, at the municipality. And I think this is, it, it, it tells you kind of the mentality you deal with. The second one is more technical, is how you execute. Yeah. And this you can get better at. You can use, in the beginning, some stencils. You can even, like, put some... Uh, 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 grids to actually scale your sketch up uh, at a bigger level. You can even project if you want. And all of those techniques can help you kind of get better or help you as much as possible uh, to scale your drawing. But at the end of the day, you have to spend like, oh, for example, a mirror, a big mirror like this takes around from one way, one to two weeks. You just need to spend the time also like practice, get better at it over time. And most importantly, be kind of excited to experiment and not try to focus a lot on the output, but really enjoy the journey. How are you choosing your, like, your historical subjects? I'm curious, like, you are, I mean, you're of the age when West Beirut came out. That was an important movie for you, I'm sure, as a child. Um, but 
you know, are you reading Darwish? Are you listening to Sabah? Like, why are these, is that why you're bringing them up? Or you just think these are important figures um, that you need to be talking about? So I think this process changes over time. I think initially uh, it was more or less to kind of, uh, I, I used to always be very interested in this contrast between Beirut's history. If you know about it, it's very rich with a culture, people, people that walk those streets. But today, Beirut, if you look at the public space, it's completely bland. And initially, the murals with Sabah, with Darwish, with Fairuz, um, uh, are, 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 and Ali Abdullah uh, Faris are about making the, this, this rich culture present in the public space. That was kind of the initial uh, men- yeah. mentality. And it's kind of a reaction to um, politicians imposing their propaganda on the public space yeah. and also to create a relationship between people and the, and the public space itself. At a later level, like right now, for example, when I do West Beirut, when I do, for example, there is another one, which is someone migrating, packing their bags. This is in Germany. Uh, I think th- my thought process around these has changed. I think I try to tackle interesting issues that have not been explored in art that make us understand our identity a bit better. So, for example, a couple of years ago when I did uh, the, the it's a kind of a portrait, it's a, portrait of someone packing their bags, which is a moment you don't typically, I don't think it has been very depicted in art, uh, at least not Middle Eastern art, to my, to my knowledge. Uh, but it is something that we experience all the time. We have this mm-hmm. big identity in which we are uh, living out of a bag. We have this constant uh, thought of where am I going to be living next? And this is symptomatic of the instability, political and economic instability that we have. Uh, and I think this is kind of the, uh, my thought. This was two years ago. I think right now you actually, especially with how that's happening with Lebanon, you actually see that this is becoming more and more reality. And it's basically to make people take notice of the envi- their identities and their environments uh, they're living in, circumstances they're living in. Yeah. Um, so two, two questions that are um, kind of related. The first one is, this is the work you're doing, the public art you're doing is inherently democratic, right? Um, yep. You're trying to quite literally color the, the visual landscape that people are walking through constantly, right? To what extent do you feel like you have a sort of a democratic responsibility to be polling the people who live in those communities to say, what do you really want to see? What are the images? What are the faces? What are the stories that need to be represented on the walls that you're passing every day? I, I don't think we need to be polling them per se. I think it's, uh, um, I, I think uh, if you poll people on what they think is a good artwork, you'd get uh, a very, <laughs> like, you'd get, for example, the people at the municipality, whenever, when, I, when I showed them, for example, the West Beirut one, they told me like, oh, why don't you paint flowers or, or gardens or something like this? And I was like, yeah, but this does not like make people think, right? When they see, a, when you see a mural of a flower, cool, it's nice. But at the end of the day, this is not what art is supposed to be, right? This is not the reaction you want uh, from an artwork. And I don't think it's necessarily polling, but rather trying to talk to them. You, do, yeah. you don't involve even the artwork. Just you get to know where you are better. Uh, sometimes it's very inspiring. Sometimes it's not. But you never go with the... I never go with the mentality of, oh, what, let's do a brainstorm for what uh, uh, good ideas we can get on the wall because this is not the, the point of it. Is I think this is mm-hmm. also 
uh, it erases my personal artistic process. The way I do it is I try to get to know the people better, the context, try to understand yeah. like if something interesting has happened in that space. And sometimes nothing happened and it's just a really nice wall. And this is where basically I try to kind of uh, look into my own personal concepts. So for example, right now, uh, I really like the, the, the stuff on migration identity uh, that I'm doing recently and like the chaos at the core of our identity. This is kind of a new series that I'm working with and I'm looking forward to kind of executing uh, some artworks from that series, hopefully in the public space. But for example, this one is very hard to paint because if you show someone uh, a, a, a canvas of, a, a picture, an image of uh, the waiting room at the airport, which we're seeing here on the screen, no one wants this on their walls. Although this, this kind of provokes, provokes thinking, they want to see Sabah, they want to see Feirouz. But at the same time, in my own opinion, I think I've grown past those artworks. And this is something very hard even for me as an artist, is when people want a specific artwork that you've, you've moved uh, past because you think that you have something more interesting to present. As we're looking at these pieces that, you know, are not on walls, um, uh, you know, these are not public, where, uh, public pieces, where do you expect these to live? Like, how, how, do, how does this series that we're looking at right now how does this sort of fall under the, the broader umbrella of public art? I, I think there are two elements. I think at the end of the day, there are some limitations with the street uh, in terms of the longevity of the pieces. The second is what you can and cannot do. Uh, how much even like just specifically the wall itself, sometimes like it's just not a really good canvas. So like some stuff that you can do, for example, uh, the portraits on the top, on the left and the right are really good examples of how I paint with uh, calligraphy. So, if the more you zoom in into this uh, into this uh, canvas, you know, it's, it's like a very intricate work of letters, and this is not something that you can do very easily on a wall. It's just the surface doesn't help. So, on the one hand, I think that uh, whatever I do, like this studio, studio piece, is allows me to explore something else, uh, technique-wise or even conceptually. The second thing is these. I think at some point will be exhibited i've been working on an exhibition for a couple of years now it was supposed to happen in january but was cancelled because of uh what was happening in lebanon but like uh, and whenever you do something in on a, on a on a canvas or in a studio i think you're allowed a bit more leeway in the concepts people when, whenever they go see something in a gallery or in a museum or in a private space they're allowed to actually they allow themselves to think deeper about why is the artist painting whatever the artist is yeah. painting. They're not um, to work. <laughs> exactly. And the third one is basically, and this is what whatever you consider the public space. Sometimes, for example, when I painted uh, the mural of Ahed, uh, the, the, sorry, the, the canvas of Ahed, basically sharing it on social media with Ahed, um, uh, basically is also kind of part of the artwork itself. It's not just the canvas yeah. is the object and that's it. It's actually the idea that just the picture also of posting that picture on social media. For example, the other day I posted this departure canvas with a commentary on how, what's happening, happening economically in Lebanon and how the government, they have a line called remittances in their economic plan that they're presenting to the IMF that's seeming to increase. That basically, which means they intend more and more people to be living abroad, sending money into Lebanon. And this is part of the economic plan. And I find this crazy is that their plan to salvage Lebanon uh, is basically, 
get people out, make them work, and basically send in money to feed a corrupt machine. And I think this is it's not something I can explain in a, in a in a mural sometimes. And this is why, for example, the canvas complements kind of a deeper analysis. And I think to some degree, this becomes an artwork. Have you noticed a sort of a generation of artists like yourself who have sort of been born out of street uh, out of graffiti and gone into street art and done uh, more public art pieces across the middle east have you i'm always curious during these conversations if the artists and designers that we speak to are aware of their contemporaries across the region um and engage with the the art across the region no for sure i think um i think for sure i think um, my generation probably has uh the first kind of like there are a lot of street artists in the Middle East now. Uh, I think there were some that started like a while ago, maybe uh, 20, 30 years ago with like some simple stuff that are always very fascinating and interesting to find. But it wasn't as, uh, the number of people that were, are doing it today is much bigger. And I think it's because of the advent of the internet, social media, all of those things has allowed uh, people to see those artworks, get inspired at a young age and to actually start executing before that, and yeah. I think it, it, there is definitely uh, that movement. Uh, at the same time, uh, and, and, and I think also what's cool about street art and public art generally and social media is it allows artists to uh, get a uh, grip and get their work out there at a much younger age. So I just, I personally, like you mentioned, I have no business being in art. I studied engineering, I worked in consulting, right now I'm doing an MBA. But just because uh, there were a lot of public resources on the internet, on social media, this is what yeah. made me, like, at a very young age, um, adopt art. And for some weird reason, uh, maybe I, ha I have a kind of a Peter Pan syndrome. I've never been able to, like, stop it. Uh, and it has been become part, a permanent part of my identity and what I like to do. So I have two questions, in it, and then I want to open up to the conversation happening in the chat. The first is, can you just walk through, in layman's terms, what you're doing with the lettering is this basically like a calligraphic version of pointillism like are you just using these letters as shade shading basically are are they spelling so, out so, anything yeah. how are you choosing the actual letters themselves so it depends uh i think like most of the canvases you see here basically it is calligraphic uh uh, a version of uh, pointillism. I think specifically, though, the reason I was uh, interested in doing this is, so if you look at the history of, uh, one, once I was actually doing a mural in Jordan, and yeah. the guy that drives the crane is a very, uh, is, is, is a very religious. And then he tells me this hadith by the prophet, which says, uh, which means, Basically, the people that will have the worst punishment in uh, in the afterlife are the people who are, the word was photographers, but people who, back then, the word meant people who make images of, of uh, humans and animals. And basically, uh, in Islam, especially that Islam came at a time where there were a lot of icons and statues that we were being worshipped, came in and broke those statues. The Prophet uh, himself did this in Quraysh and uh, destroyed the, the, these icons. To, and this is why Islam, the Islamic arts in general are devo devoid, at least Sunni Islam in the Levant is more or less devoid of imagery. The, this changes from region to region. That said, uh, I think it's very interesting that this same person watches the TV, has a phone. Uh, also, like a lot of the religious leaders 
that are very fanatical have images of them printed. And I found it very interesting that in the Arab world, people have this kind of, it's very paradoxical. They, whenever they see a portrait of a human being, they say, oh my God, this is haram. But they watch the TV, they do all of these, which in, in, intrinsically is also made out of pixels. It's just a machine that's doing them. But technically it is a surah um, in the theoretic uh, term of it. And then basically, and this is where uh, the idea for these canvases are to create kind of a continuity between Islamic art and figuration to say that if you think about it, we can use the abstraction to create, which is very abstract, the calligraphy with no meaning whatsoever to create figuration. So why is this very different from the images that are printed the, uh, or, or shown on TV, which are to some degree a, a pixel as well? So if the pixel is electronic or, calligraph or calligraphy, both are abstract. So why is it that one is okay, one is not? So it was more like to explore that um, that concept. Uh, also, like some people just see it, think it just looks good, so they like it. But conceptually, this is what, what yeah. inspired it. Um, Beautiful. Generally. But some other times, it's actually meaningful. So, for example, in the memorial, in the memory tree, um, yeah. the calligraphies are words of people. So, yeah, so basically, it's people who lived during the famine of Great Lebanon, uh, which was happened between 1915 to 1918. And basically, for 100 years, there was no public memorial of, for this event. And uh, this was kind of a project in collaboration with the Central Bank before they did a bunch of fishy stuff these days, uh, and the municipality in, uh, of Beirut and the uh, uh, University of St. Joseph, where they wanted to do a memorial for this. And it's, very, it's kind of interesting whenever you're doing a memorial for an event 100 years after it. Basically... There is no public memory anymore. No one talks about this event. People forget that at some point in history, just 100 years ago, a third of Lebanon died from a famine, which, by the way, funny enough, like, or ironically enough, it came from a political and economic climate that's very similar to what's happening today. Basically, government is very weak. Uh, we have a lot of foreign influence, some, uh, um, some uh, commercial... Uh, uh, traders actually try to do big deals during this time because uh, there is a lot, le a lot less enforcement. And finally is the role of religious institutions. Like uh, they owned a lot of the grain, they tra traded these for land. There was just uh, like a lot of deal making happening. And it's kind of very similar to what's happening today, uh, which, is, uh, which is ironic. And this is what, what this memorial is. And I chose it to look like a tree because these are the only living beings that can be like live hundreds of years to actually yeah. listen to what people had to Remember say back that. then and transport yeah. it. It's like if, uh, if these trees could talk type thing. Super, super, super cool. Um, I want to, before I open it up to everyone, um, I'm going to uh, see, uh, make two announcements. One, if you don't already follow Yezan on uh, Instagram, please do so you can look through his art. Before we open it up to everyone, um, do you have any recommendations for, you know, uh, books or accounts or artists or museums that you think our community should look into uh, if they're curious about your work? For sure. Um, uh, well, these days I'm reading uh, a book called Capital in the 21st Century by Thomas Piketty, which talks more or less about how it's a, it's a very well-known book. I wouldn't be shocked if most people here read it. It uh, talks about inequality, capitalism, which at the end of the day influences a lot of our identity today, especially like, for example, I'm seeing a lot of people here that I know on this call 
who uh, who basically had to travel abroad to actually work and get a, a more decent wage than what they can get in Lebanon for for the type of degree they have. And I think this is highly tied, and this influences a lot the identity of the people, and it's highly tied by to the economic system we live in today. Another one that I really like is the Arab by, I think, Seth Rogen, or uh, the Arab people by, I think, Albert Hurani, which also, kind of, I always find it very interesting to read as much as possible about how kind of Arab countries formed, developed, which in- inspire a lot of things that we have uh, today. Uh, films, I am, uh, I've discovered this kind of Netflix of Lebanon called M Media, which is, uh, it has a lot of like really kind of niche Lebanese, uh, documentaries. Uh, I've been watching a few things on it. It's, it's kind of cool to see such That's a thing. Great. I That's encourage great... people to check it out. Okay, cool. Um, can I make one tag on that? Um, yes, sure. Uh, I have a special place in my heart for economic books and sort of uh, business nerdy books. So if anyone has any recommendations on historical books, like historical economy books about the Arab world, please, please share them. Um, Because I think uh, as we're feeling now, uh, our lives are shaped enormously by the economy. And so understanding the economy of the 17th, 18th, 19th centuries and 20th centuries of this region are really important. Okay, let's open it up. Um, the order of the questions are um, Farah, Sara, and Lisa. So Farah, if you can um, unmute yourself and go ahead, ask your question. Hi, Azan. I actually noticed that Farah's comment said that she's in the kitchen oh. and she can't use the yeah. mic. So do you want to take it? And um... Sure, yeah. yeah. Oh, she yeah, said I, it. In her I, I just read it. Yeah, so in the noisy family kitchen, so can't use mic. How do the murals that represent societal <laughs> messages get interpreted without a blurb or description like the one in Germany uh, nearby? Especially being removed from the place that inspires the work, do the live viewers get it? Great question. Yeah, so so so, um, so yeah, so, so so two parts. I think uh, especially being removed from the place that inspires the work. I think uh, specifically, for example, in the murals in Germany, this was very relevant to. Uh, the context. So, for example, that building specifically where things were, are being painted is actually a very cosmopolitan building of people from all around the world. From Turkey, I remember you had people uh, coming from, uh, I think, no, this, in, in Mannheim, you didn't have people from Lebanon. But like this one, the one that is being shown right now, there were people even from Lebanon, from Morocco, Algeria, all throughout. And I think this is why I kind of always like uh, Germany. It's, there are always interesting stories. So I think the um, Artwork is always relevant to the space. So, for example, uh, Faris here in in, uh, uh, in Dortmund, this is a street, Nordstadt, where a lot of people were being repatriated in 2015. Not repatriated, sorry, were migrating in 2015 uh, at the time where basically there was a big discussion on the role of migrants in Europe, specifically in Germany. So this was kind of part of that conversation. I think uh, how do... The mirrors, uh, how do they get inter- interpreted without a blurb or description? I think there are two elements. The first one is, these. if you don't interpret them, you look at them, you, they, it kind of makes people think, uh, that's kind of fine by me, which happens most of the time, I guess. The second part is, I think the story lives with, with, with two elements. The first one is, some people in the community just know about it. And they start, like, people living in it, they just 
take that story and tell it. And I think this is kind of the the, the interesting thing is I, I like it when someone appropriates that mural and are able to actually tell the story about it and it creates a very interesting layer. So the mural, the artwork is not just someone just looking at the wall, but rather someone looking at the wall and having a conversation about it, triggering conversation like, oh, what is this? They, they, they understand it and then it triggers a conversation. And I think this is part of the artwork. The second is basically, and this is where the public space, a lot of it is, uh, some stuff that I post on Instagram on in my in the explanation and this also is part of kind of the public space where this mural lives uh, and finally there are a lot of stuff that, uh, that are not even on Instagram that I people who know me uh, might know more about like specific murals and this is yeah. part of the layers of an artwork and I think that's completely fine I think uh, any artwork that's interesting has multiple layers and this is something I just accept great uh, Sarah yeah. Hi, Azan. Uh, Hi, Sarah. Great to see you. It's um, been a while. It's <laughs> been a minute. Just tagging on to what we just, um, what you just explained. I had my friends from New York um, and London visit like Lebanon last summer for the first time. And we were in Jamaica and there was one of your murals and, and it's not like they could get it, but everyone felt something. And it was very much full circle, like having seen you like just from the very beginning. Um, we were at AUB the same time and Yazan moves as fast as he talks. So just like your pace and your energy was so unmatched and like vibrating, like so, so high. Um, I guess my question is, and at the time I could never articulate it, you know, but, but yeah, you know, what was behind that drive, that sense of urgency that like, you know, I got to do this now. <laughs> like I have this idea. I'm out on the streets. Like you said, you're an engineer. And at the time, like you also had, you were doing pretty great at school too. Um, so what was behind the drive? And I had asked a question, which you happened to address um, through Mikey's questions around, um, there was no one doing anything like that back then. And, and you've been more connected and, 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 you know, you frequent Beirut more than I do, but um, has it, inspired has it deterred away like have there been more attention around this where it's harder for people to do art like what would have been the different impacts i guess hmm. so so i think uh, just on the urgency i think it's maybe a character thing but I, I think at the same time especially when it comes to the street stuff um the the, the environment like i don't know like i i remember when i was at school i had a very long bus ride where I used to see a lot of Beirut on my way to school. It was like a one hour bus ride. My school is actually, it was just 10 minutes away, but I used, I used to get picked up first. And I used to see every day, uh, all of Beirut uh, by bus. And I think uh, just the sheer blandness of Beirut compared to how much the, the rich stories was very provoking for me. And uh, I think the other um, provoking thing was this sense of unfairness, unfairness where the narrative of the city is highly being controlled by people that do not try to represent the, the, uh, an interesting narrative for the people. It's like, uh, it's kind of very monarchical. And I think this is something that I did not enjoy. And this is, I think, why I was pushing to do a lot of murals. Also, I think what was different about when I was doing it back in, uh, especially 2013, is I think the sheer scale, I think a lot of so there were a lot of graffiti before me. There was some graffiti before me in Beirut. Mm. Um, but I think a lot of it was just like small stuff, tags here and there, not on the not the big uh, production. And I think the um, what I wanted to kind of change is, is the murals become part of the city. So instead of like doing this on a piece of a mural, on 10% of your, a mural, as if I'm sketching on the corner of a paper, 
I wanted to actually take the whole building, think about it in a holistic sense. So, for example, the Fairuz is the first example for this, where basically the the wall itself is the colors of this uh, of the mural are inspired by the wall, the, the environment yeah. is, is in. And so the artwork stops being just the mural itself, but rather the context it is in. And I think this is kind of the, the thing that I wanted to change. And over time, I got a bit deeper and deeper uh, within that uh, within that sense is like to think more holistically at a city scale, not and even at an identity scale, not just like do one nice mural at a time. And I think this is mm-hmm. what I uh, I kind of uh, try to do. Uh, thanks, Sarah. Uh, Luisa, you're up next. Hi, um, I just wanted to ask: uh, Do you always depict real people, which I must say you do with amazing likeness, or? Or have you ever wanted to like imagine fictional characters? I don't mean like Tarek and May from West Beirut, because obviously Sheklon Maruf, but like yeah. to imagine some the shape of somebody for the public imagination taken from Arab culture. That's my question. Um, honestly, I think in my process, the way I used to do things, I used to paint from images. I uh, I think. I'm a better painter than I am a person that sketches. Uh, this is kind of like my own personal uh, weakness because I developed as a painter. I, I had like a concept in mind based from images and I used to just piece it together and just paint with paint. Uh, that's the first element. The second thing is uh, like I sketch a lot of like unknown faces just like uh, for fun on on all the all the pieces of paper I own, <laughs> but I never like make them as an as an actual artwork. Uh, so I, I, I paint from pictures traditionally. I think more recently there are like, in terms of fictional stuff, actually, what you see behind me is that I think my first fictional thing, because, so for example, this one, this is like basically Molotov cocktails made out of a Laziza and Almaza bottle. And I think I, if I was in Beirut, I would have like set up this, I would have set up this uh, actual Molotov cocktails, took a picture and then painted it. I think given I'm in Boston right now, I had to kind of like, Photoshop part of it, get multiple pictures, sketch it, and then paint it. And I think uh, this is kind of the first time where I get to do this process. Um, it's very interesting, but it's not like something I, I think about like trying to fictionalize a character. I think more and more I'm moving away from portraiture. And this is why I guess uh, I, I might not explore uh, that direction, but um, something fictional could be, but not necessarily a face. Great. Thanks, Lisa. Uh, Mesa? Hi, Ezen. Um, I guess my question is, uh, I know you're doing consulting and you're doing your MBA and stuff, but with your art... I quit consult. I am not... Unlike... I, actually, Ali also quit, your brother. But oh, I quit yeah. consulting. So I'm no longer the quit consulting. <laughs> well, you're doing your MBA now. Like, yes, um, exactly. Where do you see your art career going long-term? Like, is the traditional, like, art market something you want to be a part of? Like exhibitions, gallery representation, auctions, that kind of thing? Or do you want to focus on public art and that be your long-term plan? No, uh, I, I, I think I, I am fine being part of like exhibitions, uh, galleries, gallery representation. I think the only thing, and, and this is, I, I think some people uh, think that my choice of doing, having like a side career on top of the art, they think it's just like random, but it is not. I think early on, I think when, I, when Sarah knew me back in undergrad, um, I used to be in, in university and to find these big murals, I used to have to do a lot of advertising jobs. So I used to work for brands, uh, uh, a lot of advertising companies 
to uh, actually create artworks for that they use in advertising. I used to hate it, like mm-hmm. horrible. Like I, I just did not did not enjoy the process because it's a lot of control. It's very transactional. You're doing something for uh, a specific amount of money, and I just lost my voice in this. And very early on, I noticed that. And generally in the Arab world, because there, are, there aren't any infrastructure, funding infrastructure, and this is only getting worse, by the way, for artists, uh, I think uh, a lot of times your voice will get tied with how you make money. And this is why I personally decided to have kind of separate careers so that, look, if I want to make an artwork that does not sell or is provocative or uninteresting or insults people, I want to be able to do it without thinking that, oh, maybe my career would be over. Uh, at the end of the day, you actually, a very good example for this is, I'm always uh, very impressed by these, uh, you know, Lebanese singers like Raghib Alemi or Nancy Ajram, uh, who just because of the market dynamics of their trade, they have to do stuff that are like, honestly, as in terms of messaging, kind of, I, I would like to use the word despicable, maybe it's too strong, but this is what I feel, is for example, they make a song for uh, CC in Egypt because it's a big market and they want to be in uh, uh, big in that market, they always try to sway whatever like the political environment is. Is they try to sway with it. Nareb Alemi, although he's like says, for example, he's with the revolution. He's also with the politicians, and like this is crazy. But you have to understand that funding and the way you make money from that trade is very intrinsically linked to the voice. And this is why I wanted to separate both. So I don't mind anything like the galleries, the museums, all of those, the public art, all of this thing is something I would explore in the future. But I will. I do not think I will make it uh, my the way I pay my bills just because I think that there is uh, uh, influence on the voice itself. And also, like, my two personal long-term project is creating the infrastructure for artists not to have to worry about how they make money to actually produce their artworks. And this is something that I would like to apply to be in art, but also even in media on the longer term. Okay, thank you. Great. Um, if you solve that, let us know, yeah? Hmm? <laughs> yes, yes. I, I, if, you I, solve I, I, that, if you solve the artist commercialism dilemma, please let us know. <laughs> I, I would definitely, this is like my, uh, this is my long-term life mission. <laughs> um, okay, we have uh, two more questions, one from uh, Zayun and one from Marianne. Hello, guys. Hi, Mikey. Hi, Hi Yazan. Thank you for this conversation. Um, so my question is, have you ever worked with urban designers, uh, when you plan for your murals or, or, or it never happened? And how do you think, um, public art can actually develop the urban spaces? I personally think it, it does, but I want to see your point of view. Uh, clear. So, so in terms of like working with urban designers, um, uh, like, I have a lot of friends who are urban designers who, uh, where I got a lot of the, get a lot of their experience and wisdom through conversation, but not necessarily worked with them. But it, it did give me some sensitivities to that that are even baked into my process. So, for example, instead, like as a graffiti artist, I used to just do like think of the mural completely separated from the space. I just like have a sketch in mind, just go and execute it. Uh, uh, and whereas I think urban designers have a lot more sensitivity to how a space is being used today, uh, how will the introduction of an artwork change that space? And I think this is not a sensitivity that I, I found I developed myself. It's something that the discussions has, has allowed me to uh, develop. That's one. Uh, yeah. but, but never worked with urban designers specifically, but this is always like 
it would be very interesting uh, to do it. I tried to work with the ones from the municipality of Beirut uh, for the memory tree. Uh, not a great experience, <laughs> but like uh, it's more a problem of the municipality of Beirut rather than uh, the urban designers. <laughs> yeah, true. Always the governmental side is, yeah, especially for architects and urban designers, it's the same case. So uh, I understand. I'm going to ask Marianne, uh, Marianne's question because she dropped off. And then we have one last question from Lena, and then we'll end it. Um, Marianne's question is, do you ever find yourself in an ethical dilemma of who you depict and their circumstances? And when do you change your mind if you do? I wonder what you mean by ethical dilemma. Um, I am uh, I'm not, sh- n- not sure, like... Like I, I, I'm trying to understand. Like, is it like more using an image of a person without uh, that, that that might not have checked? I, I, I'm not unsure about the ethical dilemma. I think I try to think as my, as many things as possible. But sometimes, I guess, I guess sometimes, and I think this is something I was way better at when I was way younger. Is I used to not give, give a lot of thought about a lot of things, yeah. and I think as I grow older, I think a lot more about stuff which sometimes is paralyzing. And I think... It's um, rec- <laughs> yeah, it's the curse, right? And I think more recently I've been trying to gain more of the attitude that I used to have before, which is like, do something, take a risk. Yeah. Uh, if uh, you, you shouldn't see yourself like, things are not like uh, immutable, you just make them and they, they're, they're fixed in space. Things are always a dialogue. And I think... Right now, I'm much more of, you know what, if you have something to do, just do it. Uh, for example, uh, some people told me that this artwork, which is, um, you can yeah. see it on my Instagram with this statement, was kind of very provocative. And it's like very unlike the previous works, which is um, I'm justifying the use of violence against banks in Lebanon because people are actually rightfully so pissed at what the banks have done. And I was trying to give kind of a justification for it. And this is something maybe like two years ago I would not have done. I think today I feel like very comfortable throwing this out there in the public space, seeing how people react and just this because that dialogue is purely part of the, the process of making art. This is why uh, I'm trying to re- regain that boldness that I once had um, and try not to lose it again. <laughs> Corporate America has a, a way of doing that. <clears throat> um, yes, but, uh, but it generates then a reaction and then you're yeah. back at it. <laughs> okay. Let's, um, uh, first of all, Yezin, do you have time for one more question? Is that fine? Yes, yes, yes. I, uh, um, Lean, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Hi, thank you. Yeah. Such Bye. a cool talk. Uh, but I guess, so my question kind of goes off from your last point that you just made, but I'm kind of wondering if, or even when you began feeling like your art needed to be used to portray these important sociopolitical messages, and if there was like a particular tipping point um, that got you to go from, you know, doing these classical murals of icons like Sabah and Feirouz, more abstract ideas, like the light, the, the Lebanese diaspora? Yes, I think, I think generally after I, uh, so honestly, like, I think the, the, the big uh, body of work that I was working on, which was supposed to, supposed to be exhibited in January, but did not, uh, was this kind of series called Hotel Beirut or Entropy that you can check out. Uh, a few of the canvases are on, on my Instagram. Uh, um, I think generally the way, what inspired this initial piece is after I 
I finished uh, undergrad, I, like a lot of the Lebanese, I was just kind of became a product for export, right? I just uh, left Lebanon without thinking about a lot about it, just because that was the normal common sense, common sense uh, thing to do. And basically, um, I started like actually traveling on a weekly basis back and forth from Lebanon. And I was very in- interested in like a big part of our identity is linked to traveling. And some people, there is this weird narrative around Lebanon that I don't know how I think the political class has crafted, which is very nice and very pervasive for them, is basically that, oh, the Lebanese were like international, we know many languages, we are diverse and everything. But at the end of the day, this is kind of a positive spin to a very sad uh, symptom of corruption and the political system we live in in Lebanon. And this is where I... I started just taking pictures on during my flights of people who just the fatigue of the travel, like the, the it's such a chaotic thing to try to find your bag within a, a mashup of bags, you packing your bag, all of those moments which are not part of our, our culture. But I think this view that a lot of people post on their Instagram when they go back to Beirut, this view of Beirut, which is chaotic as 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 hell, uh, and they uh, it's very nostalgic. And I think I wanted to make all of those, all of this imagery much more pervasive and give it the right spin, which is this is symptomatic of a sad political and, eco- uh, political and economic system we live in. And that was, I started this 2015, started doing this project, so I got better at painting those things. Uh, and honestly, I, I, my idea was like, I was just very angry at the fact that this was not part of the conversation. And then basically, I think what was interesting is when, uh, when the revolution happened, is basically it made all of this work obsolete because people just started paying attention. There was a lot of more awareness to those. So initially it was just, I was thinking of the same, similar problems that were starting to kind of build up in, in Lebanon uh, and how they impact our identity. And that right now they will continue to impact our, ident- our identity. I just think there's just a lot more awareness uh, about this. And I think this is the moment that defines my current uh, period of, of work. Yazan, thanks so much uh, for for joining. I really appreciate it. Um, I know that uh, the whole uh, the whole community has been excited about this. Yazan, thanks so much for uh, for being part of this, and uh, hopefully uh, you'll be part of the conversation future. Come in. Thanks a lot, Mikey, for having me. Uh, thanks a lot for everyone for tuning in for the question for the questions. It also makes me always think uh, about my own work. So I, I really appreciate this. Great. Um, okay, everybody. Thanks, Mikey. See you. Yeah, see you. Yes, and bye. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. We have new episodes coming every single week. Make sure you follow us on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. You can find us at afikra.com for information about all upcoming events. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. On-